This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, New Life. How are you doing today? Good, great, grand, marvelous. Let's move forward today. Hey, you should have some notes, and they should say, you asked for it, tragedy. And if anything says, hey, I'm ready for church today, it's a title like that. I was going to call it, you asked for it, pain and suffering, but it felt like a WWE Monday Night Raw wrestling. So decided to just call it tragedy. Uh, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I got to tell you, I love California. I'm a California native, and I even love Northern California despite the rain, despite the fact that it kind of feels like January, even though it's June. I just, I love it. I love this place. I love that there's traffic on the 101 because it gives me the opportunity to see the beautiful scenery, the vineyards and the, you know, the cows and the sheep and uh, the green grass because of all this gorgeous, gorgeous rain. And I really hope that the traffic, the construction on the 101 sticks to like 2020. I mean, I just really do. That'd be a lot of fun for me because uh, it, one, teaches me patience. That's what I'm praying for. Uh, and I'm praying for that for all of you too, that God really makes that happen for us. But you know what? Um, I've realized, even though there's so uh, much beauty in our fair state of California, even though it's so gorgeous, we can't escape some of life's most difficult questions. We can't escape the questions because even though we live in this beautiful area, this place that most people actually come to vacation, and we call it home, uh, we still have tragedy. Tragedy that's born out of personal pain, out of uh, situations and circumstances that we did not expect, uh, tragedy that's born out of natural disasters, earthquakes, and floods, and tornadoes, and tsunamis. A tragedy that's born out of things like global poverty, and war, and AIDS. And when, when we see this kind of suffering, these kinds of tragedies, it raises for us questions. And so we're in this series called You Asked For It, and it didn't surprise me that the second most asked questions were all around pain and suffering. Uh, and I've tried to group them into a list of three questions that we're going to dive into this morning, and they all kind of feed off of each other and play in together. Um, but we're going to go through them and try to find what God says about questions like, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? If God is good, why does he allow tragedy to happen to good people? And can God really bring any good out of my pain? It'd be easy to talk about this on a theoretical level or a theological level. This is what the Bible says. This is what God says. And give you a quick answer. But the truth is that these issues of tragedy, pain, and suffering hit many of us at a very personal level. And quick answers, easy answers just won't do. I think this is probably one of the questions that more than any other question keeps people from fully giving themselves to God. What about my pain? What about the situation that I've gone through? Where were you when my parents got divorced? God, where were you when I was being sexually abused by the people who I should have been able to trust and count on? God, what do you say about the fact that I lost my job, we lost our house, or I lost my child to a drunk driver long before their time? See, these are very real questions, very personal questions. Uh, I was very blessed growing up. I have a wonderful family, and I was spared from and free from a lot of tragedy growing up. And so this was a largely theoretical topic for me until about two years ago on Valentine's Day weekend. Uh, in January 2010, 
in January 2010, uh, we became pregnant with our second child. And we were so excited. We had been trying for a while. And uh, in February, right before Valentine's Day weekend, I went on a Thursday, I believe it was the 11th, for our nine-week checkup to hear the heartbeat. And I left work early, and I was just so excited. I had these dreams and hopes of, of what would be. And uh, we got there, and the ultrasound tech started to do her thing, and we were hopeful and excited and holding hands, and uh, she didn't hear anything. She couldn't find a heartbeat. So that went on for a couple of minutes, and my heart slowly started to sink. But I thought, no, they just, they're not finding things right. And so they sent us down to a different lab, to a more powerful machine. And again, no heartbeat. We had a miscarriage early on in our pregnancy. Some of you know that. Some of you walked with us through that. Others of you don't. But I can tell you, I didn't know what that would feel like, going through something like that. I, it was theoretical to me. I'd never had that. Our, our daughter Maddie, actually, we almost had a miscarriage with her, but God did a miracle. And she came out healthy and happy, and it was this amazing thing. But I'd never experienced pain like that. Valentine's Day weekend will never uh, hold the same um, excitement and joy, short of God completely redeeming it, which he's in the process of doing, uh, that it did before that. That weekend changed things for me, and it started what was, for me, a two-year journey on asking questions around pain and suffering. And this sermon is actually born out of that. Some of the things that I've found, some answers that I've found, some ways that God has been uh, caring for me and ministering to me. So my story is going to be weaved in with that story, and I just want to prepare you, because I know that I'm not the only one who's gone through pain, who's gone through suffering. Some of you have had far worse tragedy than that. You might be sitting here thinking, you know what, that's nothing. I lost my child when... He was six or eight or 15. Or I lost my parents when I was six or eight or 15. And, and so I don't want to minimize your pain, but I know that this is uh, a huge question for us. And I know there's some people in here who even talking about this topic and just sharing a little bit of my story right there that's going to bring some emotion to the surface for you, some pain to the surface for you, potentially some bitterness. And, and my prayer for you, my hope for you, is that God would meet you in that place as you let things kind of come up to the surface, that he would uh, be ministering to you and caring for you and loving you and bring healing in your life. And there are some of us in this room that this question is the single question that keeps you from coming into a relationship with Jesus. Because you wonder, how could a good God do such awful things or allow such awful things to happen? And my hope for you this morning is that God reveals himself to you in a very real way and that he begins to um, through his spirit, just draw you to himself and that you would respond to him. So that's what I'm hoping for out of this message, not just some head knowledge. We're going to learn some things about God through scripture today, but that he ministers and cares for your heart in the midst of it. Because many of us have gone through tragedy and others of us will go through tragedy. Tragedy is one of those things like death and taxes. We all experience it at some point. So let's pray and then let's dive in. Holy Spirit, would you speak through me now? I'm here and I want you to use uh, these words that I have prepared as I studied through and poured over the Bible to really care for my friends here in this place. Would you guide us and teach us? Would you be gracious to us as we dive into a, what is a very deep and very difficult topic for many? Would you bring healing? Would you bring paradigm shift, transformation? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A national survey was done a number of years ago, and it asked people, if you could ask God one question, and he had to answer, what would that question be? And the question overwhelmingly was, 
God, why is there pain and suffering in the world? It's the number one asked questions by people around the world, according to this survey. Here's a little statistical quirk. Uh, Married people were far more likely to ask the question, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world than non-married people? No commentary, just a little information, okay? But it's a normal question. If God is good and God has a plan and God has a purpose that we just sung about, then why is there so much of this pain and suffering? Have you ever wondered why didn't God just create a world where there was no pain, no suffering, no war, no disease? Have you ever had that question? Have you ever asked that question? Why didn't he do that? And the answer is he did. God did create a world that was free from pain and suffering. Genesis 1.31 tells us that at the end of God's creative work, God saw all that he had done, and behold, it was very good. He had made this whole world, this whole created experience, free from hunger, pain, death, destruction, heartache. It was very good. It was perfect. And in his perfect world, God created humanity, humans, the jewel of his creation, And he gave us free will so that we could choose to respond to his love by turning to him and loving him back. That's God's great desire, is that you would know his love and would respond to it by loving him back, by entering into an intimate relationship with him where he guides you and leads you and you walk with him and you serve him. And we all know that you can't have true love unless you have choice. That's the great thing about being married. I I love my wife Maria, and I love that out of all the guys in the world, she chose me right? She chose to move from the Midwest, where I hear it's like 80 degrees and sunny right now, (laughs) to California, where it's 50 degrees and rainy. Never thought I'd say that. She chose to take what was a very um, easy-to-pronounce last name, Slevin, and replace that with Finkbeiner, which means stork legs in German. And I just thought you guys should know that. Her love would not mean as much if she was programmed by God to have to love me. The thing that makes this love so incredible is that she doesn't have to love me. She chooses to love me every day of our lives. See, God created us with freedom to choose to love him because true love cannot happen if we're forced into it. But part of that is that when God did that, he left the door open for us to choose not to love him, for us to choose to turn away from him, to follow our own path, to try to do it on our own. And the Bible calls that sin. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, we know that the first man and the woman, Adam and Eve, they chose to sin, to turn from God. And when they sinned, they opened the door for pain and disease and death and destruction to come into the world. That's known as the fall, the fall of humanity, the fall of creation. And see, much of the pain and suffering that we experience in this world stems from brokenness that results from our letting sin into the world. Why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Well, because there's sin in the world. We live in a broken world. I like the way that James puts it in James chapter 1 verse 15. He says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when it's fully grown, sin gives birth to death. So we have this progression. There's this desire to try things apart from God which gives birth to a sin, to choosing something other than God's best, which when that's fully conceived leads to death. Sin always leads to death. Sin always leads to destruction. Sin always leads to pain. On a personal level, as well as a global level. See, the Bible's clear that when we chose away from God, everything became broken. Our bodies became broken. I turned 30 a few months ago, and I already see the effects of our bodies decaying. (laughs) 
right? Some of you are laughing because you're as old or older and you understand it. Some of you are laughing because you think it'll never happen to you. Ha ha, it will. Just wait. But our bodies are broken and they are dying. We're closer to death today than we were yesterday. That's just the reality. Some of us will die uh, from things like cancer at an early age taken from us. My grandmother died of leukemia at 64 when I was only 15 years old, and I lost her. And that's painful. But the truth is, when sin entered into the world, death entered into the world, and our bodies, which were made to live forever, which Ron's going to talk about in two weeks when he talks about heaven, began to decay. And we see the result of that, and it's painful. But it's not just our bodies. Our relationships are broken. See, God gave us free will, and with free will gives the great capacity to do good. Our Mexico missions team just got back last night, and with their hands, they chose to pick up hammers and nails and build houses to help bring a better life for someone. But with our hands, we can also choose to pick up a gun and shoot someone. Or we can also choose to pick up a bottle of alcohol and drink too much and get behind a wheel and drive and crash and kill someone. See, we have free will, And when we choose to sin, it fractures our relationships, and it brings pain to the world. You wonder, how come God let my daughter die by being hit by that drunk driver? Because God gave people free will so that they would choose to love him, and that person chose something other than God's best. And their brokenness scratched up against your daughter or your son. And it brought death, and it brought pain. But what about nature? You might be thinking, okay, but my... Uh, drinking or smoking or whatever I do does not cause natural disasters, tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes. And you're right, it doesn't. But notice what Paul says in Romans 8, 22. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to this present time. So he says that when sin entered into the world, when brokenness entered into the world, even creation became broken. And so while tsunamis and earthquakes and floods and tornadoes are painful and tragic. They're not something that we should think as unexpected. It is a result of brokenness, of sin, of destruction. Everything became broken. And so the overwhelming answer to why is there so much pain in the world if God is good is this. God loves you, and so he gave you free will. It's the one gift that God gave to everyone who ever lived so that you would choose to respond to him and love him. But when he did that, he left the door open for you to choose not to. When we chose not to, sin entered into the world. And sin, when fully developed, led to death and pain and hurt. And much of the tragedy in the world can be tracked back to that progression throughout Scripture. Which leads us to our next question. If God is good, why does he allow bad things to happen? It's a normal question to ask. If God is good, why does tragedy seem so arbitrary? Why does he allow things to happen? You probably wouldn't say this to God, but I'm guessing most of us have thought this following thing. When I became a Christian, when I became a follower of Jesus, I did not expect my life to be perfect. None of us would say we expected our life to be perfect. But I at least expected my life to have less suffering and less tragedy and less pain than a non-Christian. Really, what's the benefit of knowing God if... Pain happens to all of us. Tragedy happens to all of us. Someone who is, in my mind, worse than me seems to get off. Well, all I'm trying to do is love God and do what he says, and yet my life seems so tragic sometimes. There's so much pain. You might ask questions like, 
we've been following God for a long time. Why can't we get pregnant? But that person who doesn't love God, who doesn't even want to have kids, seems to, every time the wind blows, get pregnant again with another kid. And it breaks our hearts because we say, God, why won't you allow me to get pregnant? I know why God doesn't allow me to get pregnant. (laughs) Or you might ask, why did my wife get cancer? I needed her. She was my rock. She was my anchor. And then God took her. Or God allowed her to be taken. But that person who smokes a pack a day is 85 years old and they seem totally healthy. And they're not even that nice. For me, the question goes something like, God, you know, and this question came up for me. It really did. I got to be honest. God, why? Why would we have a miscarriage? We prayed every day that we, since we found out we were pregnant for the health of this child. We had dreams and hopes and plans. Why did we have a miscarriage and yet other couples didn't? It's a very real question. It oftentimes does feel ambiguous. After all, if we were God, we'd make sure that only good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, right? Isn't that how we would do it if we were God? Which raises an interesting question. Who really is good and how good do I have to be for God to do good things for me, right? If we went on that paradigm, only good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, can I ask you a question? Where would you fall? Sure, you're better than a lot of people. You may be better than me, probably. We're definitely better than Hitler. But are we, um, on God's scale, are we good enough to deserve good? Jesus says, none is good except God alone. It's a pretty strong statement. No one is good except God, because God judges us based on his goodness, his morality. It's like saying, hey, we're all going to swim to Hawaii, right? And some of us make it 30 feet into the ocean. Some of us make it a mile. Some of us make it two miles. But no one's making it to Hawaii, friends. We're all going to drown. None of us is a good enough swimmer to make it to Hawaii on our own. And so the truth is that question actually holds in it um, some misconceptions that we are good enough to deserve good things to happen to us. When in reality, the fact that we are alive today, have you ever like pinched yourself and thought, man, my skin is so flimsy, and yet I get in a car that is metal, or in some cases, like mine, maybe plastic and small, <laughs> and drive 80 miles an hour in the rain with thousands of other people, and I survive. That in itself is a miracle. God is holding life together. And so I don't think we can ask the question, why don't good things, or why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? I think the question we should be asking is, why does God do so much good for people who aren't all that great compared to God? Why does he sustain life even today? Why are we all here? Why do we have a breath? I asked in my life group last week, we had a list of questions to get to know each other, and one of the questions was, uh, what is the one thing you take for granted most? And one of the women in our group, it was profound. She said, the thing I take for granted most is tomorrow. That I'll be here tomorrow that I'll have my family tomorrow, that I'll have my kids, and it just blew my mind. But to continue this question, I think the questions that we need to understand to answer this is, what does God promise us, and what does God not promise us in the New Testament? What are the promises that God makes? Because I think we have a misunderstanding of God's promises in the New Testament. You see, in the New Testament of the Bible, God never promised us to give us a life free from pain and suffering. It is not a promise from God this side of eternity. In fact, in the New Testament, he doesn't promise us long life for ourselves or for our kids. Over and over again, he promises that we will experience pain. 
We will experience suffering. We will experience tragedies. Now, I want to be clear, that doesn't mean that God doesn't do miracles. I think God does miracles for his people all the time. I actually saw one this week. A, a child in our church fell out of a tree and cracked his skull and was bleeding in his brain, in his, in his skull. And God healed him. He is out of the hospital now and doing well. I mean, that is a miracle. Our daughter, Maddie, we, they thought we were having a miscarriage with her, and God did something, and she was born. God does miracles. I have seen people healed of cancer in this church, healed of diseases in this church, but that is not the promise of God that everyone will be healed of cancer and diseases and sickness. It is the exception based on God's grace. And I think sometimes we think that that's a promise, and then we get angry with God when tragedy strikes, because we think, God, you owe me goodness. You owe me to have everything right happen to me because I love you and I follow you because you've promised that to me, when the truth is God has not promised to give us a life free from pain and suffering. In Matthew 28, we see what Jesus does promise, and it's an amazing promise. He says, surely I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. And the subtext of that is, and that is enough for you. He's talking to his disciples, and he's about to leave them to ascend to heaven. And he says, you're going to experience heartache. You're going to experience tragedy. He knows that the majority of them will be murdered for their faith, martyred for their faith at an early age, and experience excruciating pain. And he says, not, I'm going to shield you. He doesn't say, I'm going to make it easy for you. He says, I am going to be with you. And that's enough. I'm going to care for you in your pain. I'm going to walk with you in your pain. I'm going to be there with you in your pain. And I'm going to bring healing out of your pain. final question that I want to dive into this morning is, can God bring any good out of tragedy? When I was 17, I had what I call a faith awakening experience. God revealed himself to me out in a field by myself at night, he said. And he just said, I want you to come and follow me and be with me. I love you so much. Come, let me guide you. And I said, okay, God, I'm all in. And I was telling some friends about that story a few days later. And this girl Read me the verse that Justin said earlier, Romans 8, 28. And I think we need to really focus on this. He says, God, we know that God, um, we know that in all things, sorry, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, it doesn't say that God causes all things. Sometimes we like to blame God for a lot of things that are the result of sin and brokenness and death. And friends, by the way, we're not getting into trials and testing this morning. That's another sermon for another day. I'm talking about tragedy and disasters where we don't seem to understand why God would be doing this and what the thing is that's happening. But he says God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. And the idea is that God weaves it together. It's like a rug that's being woven together. He takes all these experiences, some good, some bad, and he weaves them into this beautiful picture. See, God has the desire— but also the ability to take the most tragic things in our life and do something good with them. Have you ever asked the question, why didn't God just take me up to heaven the minute I came into a relationship with Jesus? If you're like me and you became, uh, you know, really started following Jesus at 17, um, you've done a lot of stupid stuff since then. Right? Let's be honest. Uh, sometimes I think when I first became a Christian, I used to think, God, why not just take me now? I will do a lot less damage if you would just take me to heaven. Probably better for everybody. Why didn't God just take us the minute we became Christians? Why are we still here? What's the point of being here? What's the point of living in this world that's broken and painful? 
It's a real question that we should be asking. And I would say there are three reasons that God keeps us on earth after we become Christians. These are the things that we should be striving for every day of our lives. And suffering plays a part in all of them. The first reason that God keeps us here is so that we can become more like Jesus in our thoughts, in our attitudes, and in our actions. The Bible calls coming to faith in Jesus salvation, and then it calls a process of becoming more like Jesus sanctification. We're being sanctified. We're becoming more like him. In 2 Corinthians 3, we're told that we are being transformed into the image of Christ, that our goal here on earth is to become more like Jesus in our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions. To have the fruit of God's Spirit, which is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And how do we get those things? Do you feel like you really are grown in your supernatural capacity to love on your honeymoon? When you're in Hawaii and everything's great and you look the best you've ever looked and your wife looks the best she's ever looked and you guys are just... Honeymooning? No. That's just love and other things. You grow in your supernatural capacity to love five years down the road when the kids are crying. You haven't had a minute to yourself in the last 30 days. And you're tired. And you're hungry. That's when God grows us in our ability to love. That's when the Spirit can give us supernatural love, and the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, is working in us. We talked about that last week, to grow in us the fruit of God's Spirit. That's when we become more like Jesus, when we turn to Him when things are difficult. Or have you ever wondered, how can God grow my peace or my joy? Does He grow it when we're in Hawaii on vacation? No. Of course you have peace and joy in Hawaii on vacation. It's great. It's fun. That's called happiness. That's called escaping from life. We all need to do it every once in a while. God grows us in our peace and our joy when we go through unspeakable tragedy and we turn to him and ask the Holy Spirit to develop in us peace that transcends circumstance and a joy that's rooted in him because like we sung, his love never changes. That's when God makes us more like him and it's tied into suffering. The second reason that God keeps us here is so that we can love people and help them encounter Jesus. Uh, in the midst of their pain. Uh, I would say that there's no greater call on your life, and I can say this because the scripture talks about it over and over again, there's no greater call on your life if you're a follower of Jesus than to help other people experience him. We're called to love God with all that we have and love our neighbor as ourselves, and the subtext of that is that they would come to know the creator that we love, that loves them. That's something we should be striving for every day. Why does God keep us here? So that we can help other people experience him. And I would say that suffering actually gives us a unique opportunity to partner with people, minister to people, love people, because it takes this painful experience that I've had, and then when you're going through a painful experience, it allows me to sit with you and cry with you and pray with you and tell you God is there, and God will bring you out on the other end. I would not have wanted to have a miscarriage by any stretch of the imagination. It is nothing that I would want. I prayed that God would give us a healthy baby every day, multiple times a day. But one thing that I've seen in the last year and a half is that God has actually put me in the lives of a number of families, many of you in this church, who have gone through similar circumstances. And I've sat with you. I've cried with you. I've prayed with you. I have no magic words to say. It's painful. 
but I can tell you from experience that God is there on the other side. God is with you in the pain and he will bring you out into a new day. But I would not have been able to do that had I not gone through this painful experience on my own. So God uses tragedy to give us a unique opportunity to minister to people, to love people. I got to ask you, are you allowing God to work in your pain this morning so that he can then use you to love other people and serve them in the midst of their pain? Because that's what God calls us to do as a community. And the third reason uh, why we're still here is that if God ended the world today, there would be millions of people, millions of people who would spend eternity separated from God. And he wants everyone to have the opportunity to respond to him. Second Peter 3 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God knows that if he ended the world today and ended the suffering and let us out of it, there would be millions of people who would be separated from God for eternity. And God does not want that. He wants every person to come to him, to turn to him, to respond to him. And so he allows us to sit in this world that is broken, that has pain. He allows us to encounter some pain in this life so that everyone will have the chance to respond to his love. Because if he ended it today, there would be millions of people who wouldn't. I want to ask you, when I say that, do the faces of your friends come up, your coworkers come up, your neighbors, your kids? Those are the people that God is calling to himself. Those are the people that God loves. They are the reason why he's not ending it all today. I want to end with 2 Corinthians 4. This is Paul talking, and as I read this, I want us to remember that Paul has been shipwrecked, he's been imprisoned, he's been beaten multiple times, he's gone homeless, hungry, and thirsty. Here's what he says. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving in us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, I know some of you have gone through extreme pain. And even when I read that, our light and momentary troubles, do you think, well, Paul must not have known my life. And I don't want to, to minimize your pain because it's very real and it's, it's there. But I love what Lee Strobel says. He says, think back to January of this year, 2011, and you had the worst day of your life. Just imagine it was the worst day ever. You got fired. Uh, your stocks took a nosedive. You crashed on your way home from work and told your car. And you crashed into your wife's car and told it to. Your kids were sick. Your house got foreclosed on. It was just a horrible day. January 1, 2011 was the worst day ever. But then the next day, your life takes a turn. And for the rest of the year, your life is great. So on January 2nd, an uncle you didn't know you had died and he gives you $42 million. So now you're rich. Time Magazine names you the man or woman of the year. You get a new job, and your boss starts your job by giving you a two-month paid vacation to Tahiti. Your marriage is like a fairy tale. I mean, you are uh, in between watching football games. You're having deep conversations, so you both get what you want. Your wife gets the football games. You get the deep conversations. <laughs> your, your life is just incredible. And you get to the end of 2011, and someone says to you, how's your year been? You would say, my year has been amazing incredible. I can't imagine a better year. And they say to you, but what about January 1st? You said that was pretty bad. And you would say, to be sure, January 1st was bad. But when I look at January 1st in the totality of this year, this year has been incredible. What Paul is saying is that if someone comes up to you 30 million years from now, when you've been in heaven with God, and you've been face-to-face with him, worshiping your creator, living uh, with a new body, free from pain and sickness and destruction and death, free from all of it. And someone says, how's your life been? You're going to tell them, my life has been incredible. 
I mean, it is amazing. I'm with my Savior every day, face to face. We talk. We live in this amazing relationship. And they would say to you, but wasn't your life on earth pretty tough? You'd say, to be sure, that 50, 60, 70 years, it had its fair share of downs. It was painful. But in the span of this last 30 million years that continues on into eternity, that was a blip on the radar screen. That's why Paul can say these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. Because one day we'll be in heaven with our Creator for millions and billions of years. And we'll look back on our time on earth and say, it was so worth it because I knew my God and I knew my Creator. I want to ask the ushers if you would get up and start preparing communion for us now. And as they do, I want to address two different groups of people. There may be some of you here this morning who have never come into a relationship with Jesus, and you haven't done it maybe because of the pain in your life. And you just couldn't put your trust in a God who you blame for your lot in life. I want to tell you pain and suffering is very true and it's very real, and it speaks to the fact that there is sin and brokenness and death in our world. But it doesn't have the final say. God loves you. Jesus wants to enter into a relationship with you where his spirit is dwelling inside of you and he's comforting you and bringing healing and wholeness into your life. He wants to do amazing things in your life and he wants to take your pain and turn it into something good and amazing and beautiful. But it starts when you come into a relationship with him. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock and anyone who would hear my voice and open the door, I would come and I would dwell with you and I would eat with you. We have this intimate relationship. If you're here this morning and you've never come into a relationship with Jesus, today is your day. God's calling you to come and to know him. The other group of people that I want to address is you may be here, and at one point you did have an intimate, passionate relationship with the Lord, but the pain of this life has actually put up a block. And you would say, now I'm just going through the motions. I actually am not connected with God. If I'm totally honest, I come to church, maybe I go to a life group, maybe I serve, but I just don't have that relationship that I know God has for me. I want to tell you today, God wants you back so badly. He loves you. He grieves with you when you're in pain, and he wants to bring healing in your life, but you've got to open yourself up to him. We know that uh, as we celebrate communion that God did not just sit up in heaven and watch our pain and say, well, that's really tough for them, but he came to this earth, and he suffered, and he was mistreated, and he was ridiculed, and he was crucified on a cross so that he could break the power of sin and death and destruction in our lives, so that he could free us from this separation that we have from God and bring us back to him. As we take this piece of bread, which Jesus says is my body, and this cup of juice, which Jesus says is my blood, and we remember that, I want to ask you, would you get real honest? And if there's something that's blocking you from God, just pray and ask God to let that down and to draw you back to himself. So I'm going to pray, and if you've never come into a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to give you a chance to respond this morning as we go into communion. Let's pray. Lord, would you be speaking even now? Holy Spirit, would you be drawing people to yourself? For those of us who know you and have followed you, uh, would you be bringing up any blocks that we've put in between you and ourselves that we would come into a more intimate and passionate and deep relationship with you right now? Lord, if there are those of us in this room who have allowed pain and suffering to uh, actually really separate us from you, we ask, Jesus, that you would take that, that you would take it away and that you would draw us back. If you're here this morning as we continue to pray and you've never entered into an intimate relationship with Jesus, you've never given your life over to him, I'm going to pray this prayer. And if God is calling you, 
if you sense God is stirring in you, if this is really coming together for you in your heart, in your mind, then I want to give you the opportunity to uh, come into a relationship with Jesus. There's no greater thing you could do today. So if God's stirring you, you can pray this prayer with me. You say, Lord Jesus, I want to enter into a relationship with you. I know that you died on a cross to bring forgiveness for my sins. I know that you want to heal me of my brokenness and my pain. And I know that you want to draw me into an intimate relationship with God. Today I say yes to you. And I ask you to guide me on this journey of life. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.